So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 23 if you got your Bibles. Matthew chapter 23, or if you got your smartphone, you can look it up on your smartphone. And I won't think you're texting somebody. But Matthew chapter 23, and what we're going to be talking about is what everybody likes to talk about in polite society. Polite society. Religion. Right? Everybody likes to talk about religion in polite society. No, we try to avoid it, don't we? Because a lot of times within religious discussions, things get heated, don't they? And in fact, it's, it's more polite not even to talk about these things. Because a lot of times if we do mention it, we argue. And then if we do kind of get along, we just kind of placate each other by just saying general vague statements and say, okay, I'd rather just not argue about it, right? But religion, a lot of us get anxiety just thinking about talking about religion at the dinner table with people we know, with people we love. But religion in the New Testament sense, the word actually means to worship or reverence. That's what it means. And all of us seem to have that deep within us, a sense of awe, a sense of wonderment, a sense of gratitude, a sense of worship that we just innately, intrinsically have within us. We're looking for something or somebody to think. Man worships by natural impulse. There are 4,300 world religions. If you don't think it's natural to worship, look around. Because people everywhere are engaged in some type of religion. There's 13,000 13,000 Christian denominations. It's a lot of variety, isn't it? That's a lot of religious people, right? 75% of the world fall into the category of either Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, or Jewish. 75% of the population is thinking religious things. Thinking religious thoughts, thinking in a religious way. Mark Twain had a little criticism for religion. He had quite a bit of it at times. But he said this, man is a religious animal. He is the only religious animal. He's the only animal that has the true religion, several of them. He is the only animal that loves his neighbor as himself and then cuts his throat if his theology isn't correct. We think about the abuses that have been done in the name of religion. There's been a lot of good things done in religion, but there's also been abuses. There's been quarrels. There's been fights. There's been arguments. There's been violence even in the name of religion. And of course, you got people who are kind of know-it-alls. You ever ran into that? You're all looking at me. Isaac Asimov said, people who think they know everything are a great annoyance to those of us who do. <laughs> and that seems to be especially true in religion, right? All these people know everything, but that's an annoyance to me that I actually do. But when we look at what religion is defined by the Bible says something very striking. It says this in James 1.27, Pure religion 
And undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So James says, if you want to know what true, pure religion is before God, what true worship is, it's when you help those who are helpless, orphans and widows, hungry people. And it's when you keep a spiritual holiness about your conduct. So the Christian religion isn't so much about ritual, even though we have them. We come on the first day of the week. We're commanded to come on the first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's a ritual, but it's not so much about the ritual as it is a relationship with God. And if we begin to focus too much then we rob ourselves of that which is important, which is our relationship with God. These are things to help us in our relationship with God. It's not so much as moralizing, which we do that a lot in religion, as it is the grace of God. Because I stand before you not being able to justify myself. That's the reason I'm here. It's not because I'm good enough to go to church. It's quite the contrary. It's because I'm bad enough to go to church. Christ came into the world to save sinners, to seek that whom is lost. And because of God's grace, it inspires that moral behavior. Because God has forgiven me, I don't want to live like that any longer. It's about dependence on God. Not resting in my own efforts and in my own goodness, but in the goodness of God. And certainly, Christian religion isn't about power and money. Although we see it being used for that, don't we? We see in the, in the press, we see in our politics, where it's about power and money. But when we turn to Christ, He tells us it's about humility and service. I wonder what it would happen if we focus as much on humility and service as we did our politics and power broken. And it's not about self-actualization either. Yes, you will become a better person. Yes, you will have better, a better life. But it's not about self-actualization. It is spiritual transformation by the power of God. And trusting in God. But what has happened a lot of times within churches and within the Christianity is what happened in first century Judaism in which Jesus was a part of. In Matthew chapter 23, there's that word that all of us love. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And we see it in churches. We see it in ministers. We see it in the church at large. We see that there are people saying one thing and doing another. I like how Abraham Lincoln described hypocrisy. He said this, The man who murdered both his parents and pleaded for mercy on the grounds that he was an orphan. That's hypocrisy, isn't it? You're guilty of something, but yet you're pleading for mercy because you're the one who did it. And that gets to to how we see Jesus. A lot of times we have this kind of 
picture of Jesus that's maybe one-dimensional. We see him as kind of the hippie or kind of the peace-loving guy. And of course, he was a peace-loving guy. But he also fought injustice. We can't forget that Jesus is the one that drove out the money changers from the temple. Why? Because there were people robbing poor people in the temple. They were taking advantage of the poor in the temple. And there Jesus sees the spectacle of poverty and power and drives them out. Who of you can fast for 40 days and 40 nights? Not this tough guy. We forget that we serve a carpenter rabbi. He even used the the images of the carpentry shop when he says, Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will be able to clearly remove the speck out of your brother's eye. And what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 23, some of His most powerful rebuking preaching came not to the sinner on the street, but it came to the most religious people of His day. Think about that. Why? Because there are abuses in religion. And religion for the sake of religion isn't what the Bible's about. Neither is an empty religion or a superficial religion. And we can't use religion as an excuse to abuse people. So Matthew chapter 23 gives us some lessons for us as the church, what not to be like, what not to do as God's people, to not abuse religion. I think that's an important lesson for us today. And it comes to this group called the Pharisees. And there were different groups in that day. And the Pharisees were known for their personal piety. This was the most religious people on earth. They wanted to please God and it started out in such a good place. It started out that they wanted to please God with all of their heart. That they wanted to get it right. But because of sin, because sin affects the church, sin affects religious people... It had distorted the whole purpose of everything. And they missed the point. They missed the whole point. They, were, they missed the forest for the trees, as it were. The Pharisees. They were known as separatists, as interpreters. And the number one thing that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23 is number one, He says you've got to practice what you preach. Look what He says. Then Jesus, this is in the last week of His earthly life, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to the disciples saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. So the first thing Jesus tells us is that if we're going to truly be His people, and if we're truly going to be His church, then we need to be people who not only say, but people who do. He says there was good in what they said. He says, what they say, observe. But be careful not to observe what they say, what they do. Let me ask you a question. What if the sermons that were preached today in this country were actually preached what you practice? What do you think the sermons would sound like 
today across America. If the sermons weren't what people say, but it was actually the sermons which people do. Do you think the sermons would sound a little different? Do you think my sermon would sound a little different? We've got to preach what we do and do what we preach. He also says that God, the ultimate purpose for the Christian religion and following God is to be free. To be free. And look what they've done in verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. For they themselves will not have moved with one of their fingers. He says, these religious zealots, these religious people have taken the Christian, the religion of the day, Jewish, and they had bound people with it. They put burdensome laws. And this originated what is called the halakha, the oral law. And the Pharisees respected the oral law. And they had created oral law. And so it started out with the Ten Commandments. And in the Old Testament, 613 commandments. And by the time it got to Jesus' day, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of unspoken and spoken word rules. And it was supposed to keep you far from breaking the law. But what they had done is that they had esteemed the thoughts of men on the same level as the thoughts of God. They taught the commandments of men as the commandments of God. So Jesus' commandments, when we contrast that with Christ, Jesus doesn't want you to feel burdened. Jesus doesn't want to restrict you with so many rules and laws. That's not why He came. He came for us to be free. Jesus said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. It says that His commandments are not burdensome. When we follow Christ, it's not about keeping rules and checking off lists. It's about serving someone who loves us and cares for us. He also says, look at their motivation. There's a problem with the motivation of these religious people. But all their works, they do to be seen of men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feast and the best seats at the synagogue. Greetings in the marketplace. And to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you know, do not be called Rabbi. For one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father. For one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. So Jesus says, where they get their delight, where they get their enjoyment, where they get their satisfaction is not in worshiping God and in helping people, but it's in actually titles and in things that are vain. That they get more of a kick out of being called rabbi than they do teaching the law. They choose the highest seats. Talks about that interesting word, phylacteries, which is small leather boxes that they would hang from their forehead and from their arms that had Scripture in it, and they would really make a show at how pious they were. Religion had become a show. Is there a danger of that in today's church? Is there a danger of putting on a show? 
Is there a danger of taking great pride in titles and in names? There is. And Jesus says this. Listen to this. Verse 11 and 12. But he who is greatest among you shall be the servant. Not the one with the title. Not the one that looks the most religious. Not the one on the front pew. But the one who serves. And he says this. And whoever exalts himself will be abased. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now Jesus is just getting started. I wonder what this sermon would sound like today in today's church. But now he gives a list of seven woes. And woes are the opposite of being blessed. Woe is when you're inviting all kinds of misery upon yourself. And Jesus says, misery, woe to the Pharisees' hypocrites. Because they have become a hindrance to the kingdom of God. That they put themselves in front of people seeking God. Does that ever happen in the church today? Where Christians get in the way of people finding God? Remember the words of Gandhi. He says, I like your Christ. It's your Christians that are the ones I have trouble with. You look so different from your Christ. It says that they were devouring widows' houses and then making long prayers. Here they were. Greedy. Avarice. Stealing from the elderly, from widows. And then they come to church, come to the synagogue, and have a long prayer. And then they were making converts, it says in verse 15. And the converts turned out even worse than them. It says that they were blind guides and that they would play word games and try not to keep oaths, it says in verse 16 and 21. Verse 23 and 24 They weren't observing the weightier matters of the law. You see, there are some things that matter more than other things. There are some things that matter more. Like for instance, if you see someone hurting, it's better to go help that person where they are than to be a little late for church, isn't it? There are things that matter more. People matter more. And Jesus says, here you put all your emphasis on these little things. About how much you're tithing with your mint garden. And meanwhile, you're forsaking what matters most. Justice, mercy, and faith. He also says, it's all about the heart. Verses 25, he says, that you care about the outwardness of the cup. And not the inside of the heart. You're like whitewashed tombs. Which indeed appear to be beautiful outwardly. But inside you're full of dead man's bones. You see for the Christian religion to be true. For our following God to be true. It has to be true on the inside. And not just on the outside. So today I want to leave you with just a few thoughts. Number one. We should begin with ourselves. That when we talk about what the Bible says, and when we talk about what we ought to do and what other people ought to do, that has to begin with ourselves. That has to begin with me. But a lot of times when we start talking about religion, 
then we're thinking about everybody else around us. We're thinking about the people that we know that need to get right and not about ourselves. Number two, we must remember that everyone is enduring some sort of a battle that we don't see. Even the Pharisees, right? All of us are dealing with something that we don't know about. One guy once said it like this, nothing that we despise in other men is inherently absent from ourselves. We must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or don't do and more in light of what they suffer. It's easy to be judgmental, isn't it? It's easy to think you know who someone is. It's easy to think that someone else has it easier than you, right? But at the end of the day, every one of us is dealing with something troubling. We all have our battles and we must understand that all of us are suffering at times. And to take that into account when we begin to judge each other. And ultimately, ultimately, God doesn't just want you to be religious. He doesn't just want you to be singing songs and taking the Lord's Supper. No, He wants that, but He also wants fundamentally to have a relationship with you for you to know Him. And hopefully, the things that we do here that He's commanded us inspires that in you. God wants you to depend. God wants humility and 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 service and transformation and trust. And God has called us into a community together of support, accountability, love, and hope. Today, follow Christ. Understand He really wants to know you and love you. And that's what being a Christian is all about. And let's try to get the weight of your matters, to care for people, to love God, and to support each other. Today, if you're not a Christian, the Bible says it begins in faith. It begins in that awareness of who God is and who Jesus is. That we begin to understand the power of His words. That we repent of sin. We confess Christ. We're immersed into His body, baptized into His body, the church. We begin to walk with Him. Not to be religious for religious sake, but to be transformed by the power of God. If you desire that today, we're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.